Let us begin this evening in our Bible study by answering a question that has come up this week. It's one that comes up a lot. So let's make sure that we know how to respond to it. So open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Most theologians out there say that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says you can eat pigs, shrimp, lobsters, that God's commandments are doctrines of demons. So let's take a look and see. You all looking at me like, well, we know that's not right. Well, most of the church does not know that. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. So if someone were to say, doesn't this teach us that we can eat pigs, shrimp, lobsters, etc. Let's go look at the text. Now the Spirit expressly says, that word Spirit is the Holy Spirit, so we know this is from God. Expressly says that in the latter times, that is the times right before the Lord's return, and we're getting really close there, aren't we? Some will depart from the faith. Step one you can't depart from the faith if you are never part of the faith. So this is something that the world will use to try and pull people away from God. And that's one of the things that characterizes the end of days is Daniel chapter 7 verse 25. That the false messiah will try and keep people from keeping God's appointed times and his commandments. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So many theologians out there are saying that the commandments are God, of God are given to us by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. How many of you believe that is true? It is, of course, not true. But people believe it when preachers say it. They don't read the Bible for themselves. Verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy. You can speak a falsehood by mistake. You cannot speak a lie by mistake. A lie is something intentional. You can make a boo-boo, but a lie is something that is conceived. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Uh-oh. What did Messiah say about hypocrites in Matthew 15 and Mark chapter 7? Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. So here come man-made commandments to try and displace the commandments of God. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, which means they've been practicing sin so long that they can no longer separate sin from truth, righteousness from lawlessness. Verse 3, forbidding to marry. Step 1, do God's commandments forbid us to marry or encourage us to marry. Encourage us to marry and not to divorce our wives. So you begin to see already this is not talking against God's commandments but against man-made rules and regulations. Which group in Paul's day forbid marriage? The ascetic Gnostics. The ascetic Gnostics said if you want to achieve godhood, like God was once a man like you or I, you can be your god too, but you have to put aside anything in this life that is pleasurable. And whether you want to argue it or not, marriage is pleasurable. So the ascetic Gnostics say if it's pleasurable, you can't have it. 
and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What is true? Psalm 119 verse 142, the Torah. But the ascetic Gnostics say, hey, see that T-bone steak? That looks good, doesn't it? Well, you can't have it. If you want to be God, you must deny yourself all earthly pleasures. So, verse 4. For every creature of God is good. Too many people think this reads, for every creature of God is food. It does not say that. All of creation was good. Read Genesis chapter 1. All of creation is good. Pigs are good, bats are good, snakes are good, mosquitoes are good, although we might want to debate some of those. But they're not food, right? Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused. What's that next word? If. It is received with thanksgiving, and then there's a period. No, there's not. But that's where all the preachers put the period. So therefore, if you thank God for the pig, you can eat the pig. But no, there's more to the sentence. For, what does for mean? Because it is sanctified, which means set apart by the word of God, which means in Leviticus 11, if God says you can eat it, you can eat it. If God says you cannot eat it, you cannot eat it. So that's step one. Did God set it aside to us as food? Is it sanctified by God? How many of you realize the pigs are not sanctified by God? Nor are the shrimps, the lobsters, the catfish, the crawdads, the earthworms that I saw people eat on Survivor last week. <laughs> they are not sanctified by the word of God. Sanctified means set apart. Different. That which God says can be eaten. But then there's more. And prayer. It's not enough that God said you can eat it, but you must give God thanks for it. If you're not giving God thanks for it, then who do you think provides it? And that was the problem. Back in the ancient northern kingdom of Israel, when the crops came in, they went and gave offerings to Baal and Ishtar saying, thank you for the food. So the concept developed in Judaism and it's reflected right here. If you don't give God thanks for the food, it's as if you're committing it to idols. So does verses 1 through 4 or through 5 even say it's okay to eat a pig? No. no. Actually, insert, if verse 4 says it's okay to eat a pig, it would also be the preferred verse for cannibal tribes. Yes, it would also be the preferred verse for cannibal tribes because if you can eat a pig, you can eat anything. You, well, a human is in the same category. Yeah. We are a creature of God, and if we've been food and set apart by prayer, you know, it's like the lion that caught the missionary and bowed his head and said, Lord, thank you for that I'm about to receive. Yeah. Now, wind the clock back 30 years when I was first beginning to study the scriptures for myself. And I come across passages like this. That my seminary professors are saying, this says you can eat a pig. How do I test that against the scripture? How do I be a Berean? What's that? Search for what food 
Search for what food is. What does God allow us to eat for food? That's good. But my approach beyond that is when they say, well, that was then. Because, well, they didn't have refrigerators. If you let pig in the sun for three weeks, it's spoiled. Of course, beef and lamb does too. But look at the prophetic scriptures. So go to Ezekiel chapter 44. Ezekiel chapter 44, which talks about the millennial kingdom with Messiah on the throne. If the rules stopped applying 2,000 years ago, they're to be followed no more. In the millennial kingdom with Messiah on the throne, he's still been crucified, buried, and resurrected, right? And he is sitting on the throne, ruling over the earth, teaching us the Torah. And what does it say in Ezekiel 44, verses 23 and 24? It says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. If everything was now clean, why is he teaching us to distinguish the clean from the unclean if it's all clean? In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws. What's the Hebrew word there for law? Torah. And my statutes. And all my appointed meetings. That's Shabbat. That's Passover. That's unleavened bread, etc. And they shall hallow my Sabbaths. So has the law changed? From before Messiah was crucified till after, it has not changed. And then go to Isaiah chapter 56, where Messiah returns, and we find out in no uncertain terms what's going to happen to those eating pig when he returns. Because God told us what he intended to do. And if you think it's to put his loving arms around and say, well done, my good and loving child, you're wrong. Isaiah 66. 66. 66. One six followed by another six. Don't go to Isaiah 12. That's not the same thing. <laughs> Isaiah 66. Start in verse 14. This is Messiah returning. This is the day of the Lord. This is judgment day. When you see this, that is God defending Jerusalem, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord, which is protection, is blessing, shall be known to his servants and his indignation, that's his wrath to his enemies. How many categories are there? Two. His servants or his enemies. Verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his angry anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Does he sound a little miffed? Or does he sound like he is just absolutely angry? The word za'am, which is the word indignation here, um, actually has the picture of the foaming at the mouth when is so angry. Verse 16 says, For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all Jews. Right? No, it says all flesh, Jew and Gentile alike, makes no difference. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh. What's a swine? It's a pig. 
and the abomination, that's all those other things in Leviticus chapter 11, and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Does the Lord come and slay them so they can get to heaven more quickly and enjoy their mansion? The answer is no. So the prophetic scriptures confirm for us that pigs always were clean. They're clean now. That's right. I'm waiting for somebody to jump in there. They've never been clean. What does Job 14.4 say? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? The answer is no one. They've never been clean. They're not clean now. They never will be clean. They went into the ark one by, by two by twos. That's all they got, not seven by That's seven. That's right. Two by two, <laughs> not seven by seven, onto the ark. So the prophetic scriptures confirm for us that eating a pig makes one abominable before God, just as Leviticus 11 said 3,500 years ago. Do you want to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day and hear... Well done, my good and faithful servant. Are you abominable louse? I know which one I prefer. Okay. Let's now turn our attention back to our scripture for the week. And that's the book of Jeremiah. I wanted to be sure and get that on tape in case somebody wants to play it for people who have inquiring minds. We are today in Jeremiah chapter 9. We're in verse 7. What have we just read before we come to verse 7? Please don't say verse 6. Be a little more deep. I know you learned from me. What does the verses 3 through 6 tell us? Does God enjoy liars? Does God enjoy sin? Has God ever enjoyed sin or taken pleasure in it? No. Just for grins, just to confirm something for all of us, do turn to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. There are multitudes of Jewish people who will burn forever and ever. Because the church taught them that Jesus came to abolish God's commandments. And they said, if he came to abolish God's commandments, then he's not the Messiah. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 25, it tells us who wants to abolish God's commandments. Verse 25. He, that's the Antichrist, the false Messiah, the beast of Revelation 13, whose spirit has always been in this world, is the spirit of Satan. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Give me a chapter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. That's all over Revelation. And shall intend to or try to change the times... The Aramaic word there for times means God's appointed times, Passover, unleavened bread, the Sabbath, etc. And law, that is the Aramaic word for the Torah. So when I hear preachers on TV today say, Satan is trying to trick people into keeping God's commandments. I say, that's not what my Bible says. 
Satan has never been trying to get us to follow God's commandments. Let's go back to Jeremiah 9. Let me get back on point. The reason I had to talk about verses 3 through 6 is verse 7 starts with therefore. You've got to know what precedes it to know why he would say therefore. If you substituted the word man's commandments, yes, that sentence would be correct. Yes, that's correct. Verse 7, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts appears 235 times in your Bible. All of them in the Old Testament. Say that one more time. The phrase, the Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot, appears in your Bible 235 times. And they're all in the Old Testament. Because when you see it, you know we're talking about something that is prophetic for the day of the Lord. If you took all the Old Testament out of the New Testament, you'd have a pamphlet. Yes, the Old Testament is full of prophecy that will be fulfilled in the day of the Lord. And whenever you see Adonai Zavaot, the Lord of hosts, you say, it may teach me something historical, but this is also trying to focus me on the day of the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. What kind of prophecy? End times. Behold. What's behold mean? Something very important is about to be revealed, right? Behold, I will refine them and try them. The word try there means to test. I will refine them. How does one refine metal? You put it through the fire. And if we turn up to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, we're going to see that in the day of the Lord, Israel is going to be refined. Verse 9, Zechariah 13, verse 9. I will bring the one-third. Two-thirds of Israel will perish. The one-third, though, I will bring one-third through the fire. What's fire? Judgment. Judgment. Refine them as silver is refined. Silver is refined by putting it through the fire seven times. How many years of the tribulation period? Seven. So just as silver is refined by going through the fire seven times, so Israel will go through seven times. What is a time in prophecy? It's a year. And test them. As gold is tested. So they go through the bowls. They go through all the judgments, but there are seven of each of the judgments, right? Yes, there are seven seals, then seven trumpets, and seven bowls that are spread across the seven years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And test them as gold is tested. What do you test gold for? Purity. 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 So putting it through the fire is to try to remove the purity. In terms of Israel going through the tribulation period and being refined, what is God trying to remove from them? The sin. To try and bring them to the point of purity. To their tamim, without spot or blemish. That sounds almost like the reference to the bride of Christ. I kind of thought the church was the bride of church of Christ. But I never think of the church as spotless without blemish because when I look at the church, I see everything except that. But it, but 
talks about refining these people through yeah. fire, they're going to be a pure spotless yeah. bride. So let's back up for a moment. One thing that hit me this week is preacher after preacher after preacher talking about the rapture of the church. There is no rapture of the church. The rapture is individuals. The majority of the church is going to be here going, it couldn't have been the rapture because I'm still here because they are no more saved than the pig is clean. Um, I don't mean to say that harshly, but as close as we're getting to what could be the rapture, I, I think we need to start being a little more... Blonde. I like that word. <laughs> truthful. I always try to be truthful. Sometimes I try not to be too blunt. But blunt. If you look at the church as a whole, they are not following God's commandment. They are not the saints. The saints are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Yeshua. So everybody that I keep hearing talking assumes that everybody who sits in the church pew once a week or maybe once a year is going to go in the rapture and... and be welcomed into heaven by the Lord our God. And it's not going to be that way. What did Messiah say in Matthew 7? Who's on the broad road? Many. Who's on the narrow road? Few. When Messiah mentions that it's going to be like in the days of Lot. Yes, people say, oh, it's going to be so sinful. Homosexuality is going to run rampant. Sexual immorality, etc. All that's true. But how many came out delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah? Three. And he says, like the days of Noah, the world was full of violence. Our world is full of violence. Yes, that's true. But how many were taken on the ark? Eight. What happened to all the rest of the millions of people? They died. So the majority of what we call today the church, in my opinion, is going to go through the tribulation period just like the unsaved in Israel. You're either saved or you're not saved. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. Give me a scripture in the New Testament that says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Where is it? New Testament. <laughs> Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They're not the church. They're not the church. What we call the church. Exactly. Yeah. They've taken the name the church. It's a false word. Yeah. Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. That's in the New Testament. That's written by Paul to a church that came out of the Gentile world. And that Paul has just told him in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let us keep the feast. Which feast? Oh, he was talking about Passover, but he's going to eventually get to all of them. Zechariah 14, 16, in the kingdom, we're going to keep the festivals. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting off track. Let's go back to Zechariah. Well, let me just read the rest because you probably have lost your passage there. I'll bring one-third through the fire. We'll refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. There is no corporate salvation. 
It's each person is either saved or not saved. So when people talk about the rapture of the church, everybody who walks through the door of a church is going in the rapture. That's not in the scripture anywhere. Yes, Bill. Mary and I were sitting on the porch this afternoon talking about this similar train of thought, and I had a little vision of a picture of a fence going down. Uh -huh. fence. Yep. And there were people walking on top of the fence, you know. <laughs> and there were people on the right side just, you know, happy and joyful. And on the left side of the fence were lions eating people. And the scripture that came to my mind, your adversary is goes about like a lion, Lord seeking who to devour. Yep. You know, and and you know, skeletons and bones is, you know, torn bodies and stuff on, on the left side uh, and it was like you know people need to be warned I, yep. need, I need to give my testimony yep. to people so that they can say they can choose to get off the fence yeah yep. the fence being on the fence is a dangerous place yeah you only got a very narrow place to walk yeah and if you fall off the wrong way or you know yeah so let's add to your example there. First Kings chapter 13. Just write that down. First Kings. First Kings chapter 13. Who got eaten by the lion? The prophet who dared think that God's commandment would change. Does God change his mind on the commandments? Give me a verse. Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. And the man who said, ah, oh, yeah, God will change his mind. He'll change his commandment. He'll break his commandment. Got eaten by the lions. So let's go back to Jeremiah 9, verse 7. We're only halfway through the verse. It says, behold, I will refine them and try them or test them. That's what the word try there means. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? This is God speaking. What am I supposed to do with these people? What's the problem? Look at verse 8. Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. What's another word for deceit? Lies. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Lies in wait for what? To kill him. So he speaks nice, friendly things to the neighbor while waiting for a chance to stab him in the back. The Bible has so much to say about lies. Their power, their source of evil, and the ultimate judgment. So start in Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Verse 11. Psalm 116, verse 11. I said in my haste, all men are liars. A lot of women agree with that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not the point that God's trying to get across, but okay. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, I bet you can believe that all of us have lied once upon a time in our lives, huh? 
question is not whether you have or haven't, it's have you repented of it. 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 to 11. We may as well start in verse 8. Yeah, why start in the middle of a sentence? <laughs> we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Meaning, as instruction in righteousness, not as a way of salvation. The law was never a way of salvation. It was instruction in righteousness for the children of God who were already in covenant saved by faith. Knowing this, that the law is not made, which means laid down on, a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for, what's the next word? Liars. For perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 9 says that the law is not made to show a righteous person that he's righteous. It's made to show a sinner that he's not righteous. So that we can repent and become a person of righteousness. And if we're doing any of these things listed here, like being a liar, then we know we are not righteous in the eyes of God. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Ooh, the letters to the seven churches. I have often said when I hear people say, well, I can't believe so-and-so or you know, this or that. And I said, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Every man is a liar, but let God be true. Yep. I said, that settles the whole subject. Let God be true. Revelation 2.2. 2. Yep. I had to do it. I'm sorry. That's all right. The letters to the seven churches, which are for all of us. Amen. How do we know? Because verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear. So verse 2 says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. So there are people going around saying, I have been sent out to teach you the word of God. And they're false teachers. They're like in 1 Kings chapter 13. The man from Judah was a prophet. And the man in the northern kingdom of Israel said, well, I'm a prophet too. And God told me to tell you. Then he's changed his mind. And the true prophet from Judah believed him and got eaten by a lion. So why does he commend the church for testing those who say they're apostles? They say they're true teachers. And found that they're not. I found them liars. Shouldn't we just believe everything a preacher says? Or a theologian? If they need that jet, we should give them money. <laughs> yeah, so what should we do? Be Bereans and take everything we're taught and go back to the scripture to see if it is so. And it will get you in trouble. Yeah. With the, with the church world. <laughs> yeah. Revelation 21. More than once I've had a pastor tell me, Wayne, shut up. You can't ask questions like that because you make other people start thinking too. 
Yeah, they didn't want people thinking. They wanted them blindly following. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable. What's eating unclean foods make you? Abominable. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. I'm sorry if I didn't let you get there. Take a look at it for a minute. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Therefore, if you are a liar, you must what? Repent. You don't want to stand before the Lord on judgment day and say, well, I didn't want to tell the truth. In that list, some of those sound soft and some sound hard and yet God looks into the heart of these people and says you all get the same penalty yes because it's coming out of their heart right so the cowardly those who just won't go there will turn away from God because they don't want to be fear of man because of fear of man. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. My kids won't like it. My neighbors won't like it. My business associates won't like it. Where's your faith? Let's go to Psalm 5, verse 6. Psalm 5, verse 6. There will be those in the tribulation period that will give up their eternal lives to take that mark of the beast because they're afraid they don't want to be beheaded. They'll trade a few more years of life in this world serving the Antichrist rather than to live eternally. What's that? Or even just afraid to be hungry. Or even just afraid to be hungry. Yeah. Psalm chapter 5 verse 6. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. What's another word for falsehood? Lies. Lies. The scripture says, who's the father of the liars? Satan. Satan. Yeah. Let's go to Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is very relevant to right now, isn't it? Psalm 24, a psalm of David. Let's start in verse 1 just to get a context going. Everybody there? Mm -hmm. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So what portion of the world belongs to the Lord? All of it. All of it. The world and those who dwell therein. So who do we belong to? Hey, it's my body. I can do what I want, right? No. We're bought with a price. It's not ours. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. What was in the news just this week? They've just discovered that around the core of the earth is an ocean. We knew that. 
You did? Yeah. Okay. That's where the waters of the deep came from in the great flood. Yeah. I just never been down that deep to look. Did you not know there's a <laughs> crack that goes around the earth one and one third times? Nope. And that's where the waters came up and also where they received it. Cool. Verse three. Verse three. Here's where we came to this chapter to read. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Is that not our goal? To come to the new heavens and the new earth to stand in the presence of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. What's Selah mean? Yeah, stop and think about what's just been said. If your plan is to spend eternity with the Lord our God, do you want dirty hands or clean hands? Clean. Do you want a pure heart or a dirty heart? Right. How about, do you want your soul had to have been lifted up to an idol? No. How about swearing deceitfully? No. David said in the Psalms, try me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. Yeah. Any evil way in me, remove it far from me. Yep. And that should be the heart and prayer right now in these last days of the 40 days of penance and all of us. Yep. Somebody has sent a private message okay. to say, look at Psalm 119, verse 126. Once you get there, you know exactly who said it. <laughs> it is Daniel. <laughs> it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Um, I got there is that a veiled threat? No. You're right, there's no veil. <laughs> this is a good prayer we could all be praying every day, though. It really is. Yeah. It's time. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law, your Torah, as void. 119 and what? Verse 126. Thank you. Yep, Psalm 119, verse 126. It is so relevant to today because this verse is not that the sinners of the world that reject God and claim to be atheists reject the law of God. It's talking about those who claim to be his people. And leading others astray right behind them. Leading others astray behind them. They want the blessings of God but they do not want to serve him. I don't believe so. They want the praises of the people because if they wanted to bless God they would have to get out of the way. That's what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's then go to Psalm 32, verse 2. Psalm 32, verse 2. Uh, I know it's completely disgusting, but Becky just showed me a, a news article just a couple hours ago that an elementary school in California has appointed a drag queen as the principal. Oh, 
to lead the elementary school. Psalm 32, verse 2, they consider the law of God to be void. So watch out for the lions. Psalm 32, verse 2, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If your heart is full of lies, then the Lord's going to impute iniquity. Meaning hold you responsible for your sin. Yeah. Okay. Psalm 34 verse 13. Psalm 34 verse 13. Of course. Psalm 34 verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil. Meaning what? Stop lying. And your lips from speaking deceit. This is a hard thing. The Bible says the tongue is a hard thing to master, to control. It's so easy to just throw those lies out there. But God says, ooh, I'll hold you accountable. Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4. Another psalm written by David. It says, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So no fear of God means what? He's not going to be obedient to God. He doesn't care what God thinks. He's not afraid of God's judgment. He despises him, yeah. For he flatters himself in his own eyes. When he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that's not good. He does not abhor evil. So David says the first characteristic of a wicked man is that he does not fear God. And number two is that he's a liar. He loves the lie and doesn't think he will stand any judgment for it. Let's go up to Romans chapter 3. Doesn't the New Testament say lions okay? Not anywhere I've read either. Romans chapter 3. Who wrote Romans? Paul did, of course. Start in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have become together unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Is Paul making all this up? Is he trying to write a song for Led Zeppelin? Where do all these quotes come from? From the Old Testament, right? From the Old Testament. Paul is using the Old Testament to prove his points. And yet people say, Paul said, don't read the Old Testament, don't follow it. But what does he use as proof text? The Old Testament. Hmm. Just for your edification, since you're all doctor level Bible students by now. See in verse 19 when it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. And look at Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 14, for instance. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Yep. Do you realize the word under in chapter 3, verse 19, those who are under the law, is not the same word as under in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6? To just read it in English, wouldn't you think it's the same word? The word in verse 19 is an, E-N. The word in chapter 6 of Romans, verses 14 and 15, is hupo. In, verse, in Romans 6, the verses say, we are not saved by the law, we're saved by grace. That's absolutely true and correct. In verse 19 of chapter 3, when it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that word in means that they're living in a society where law is the law of the land. Not at all the same thing. Okay. So the Greek E-N means that we are in the law? Yeah, the, that the law is... Where hupo means we're under the law. No, hupo means we're not saved through the law or by the law. Where in verse nine, in chapter 3, verse 19, the word N means the law is the society's rules under which we live. It means a Jew. Jews were born being taught they needed to follow the law, which separates them from the Gentile world who had no clue that God had a law out there. Okay. James chapter 1. That was probably clear as mud, but... So when they say in, in, in chapter 6 of Romans that that verse means that we do not have to follow God's commandments once we're saved, that's not at all what that's trying to say. Simply that we're not saved through the works of the law, we're saved by grace. And Galatians chapter 3 says the law was never given as a way of salvation. It was never for that purpose. But what I hear from all the Christians I talk to is, Oh, they were saved by keeping the commandments of the law. We're saved by grace. Nobody was ever saved by keeping commandments. The law is written on our hearts in the New Covenant, but that's not what saves us. 
Right. It's a result of our being saved. Right. Salvation comes first, then comes the law being written upon our hearts. And yep. like David, we say we delight in the law of the Lord. We should. We should. Instead of being taught to hate the law of the Lord. Right. Yep. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. He's trying to say, if you think you're saved, and yet you're a habitual liar, you're only lying to yourself. God's not deceived. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 comes right after First Peter chapter 2. Uh-oh. In most Bibles, anyway. We did learn from you. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3, verse 10. First Peter 3, verse 10. For who would love life and see good days? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In other words, you want to see eternal life? Repent of the lies. Let's go back to James for a minute, but to James chapter 3. That's just a couple pages back. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. After telling us that a ship is steered by a little old rudder, and that's true usually. James chapter 3 verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, that is a small part of your body, and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So if no man can tame the tongue, what are we supposed to do? Repent and let... God, take care of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. 1 John 3.18. Going back toward Revelation a few pages. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, meaning in word only, but in deed and in truth. In other words, don't just talk about loving God. Put it into practice. Scripture says, what is the love of God? Answer, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Indeed and in truth, what is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. The Torah is truth. 
What about all the preachers who say, yeah, it was true that Jesus just didn't realize that that truth would become a lie in a couple years when he got crucified. He was surprised. No, we know better than that. We know better than that. We've been taught better. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 9 before I get too preachy. It's a classic example of the book 1984 talks about double speak. Yeah, double speak. It's now everywhere. But that's a classic example of double speak. If you take Matthew 5 17 and to say it's exactly the opposite of what, what Jesus said. Yeah. That's double speak. Yeah, double plus on good. Yeah. Jeremiah chapter 9, we're up to verse 9. It says, Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? He says, The nation is steeped in sin and idolatry and immorality. You can't believe a word anybody says. The blood runs in the street. What am I supposed to do? Just shut my eyes to it? Shall I not punish them for these things? Look at Deuteronomy 28. What did God say he would do? Let me tell you, what God said he would do is what God's going to do. Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 15. And it shall come to pass if... You're not there yet. Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 15. The but should be and, and it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. God said, if they go astray like this, he will bring the curses upon them. Now what if he doesn't? Then he's a liar. Is God a liar? Or the son of man? That he should lie? No. Even verse 36, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. You shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations, for the Lord will drive you. So the Lord told them before they ever crossed over the river into the promised land that if you turn away from me and turn into sin like this, I will judge you. So in Jeremiah is saying, what? You think now I should not judge them? Verse 9, shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? He has to. He said he would. He does not change his mind. How about Numbers chapter 23? Because somebody out there is going, come on, give me a verse. Give me a verse. Numbers 23, 19. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. You're not there yet? God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should in my Bible it says repent, but what the word means is change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? If God promised judgment, 
then judgment is coming. You know Psalm 89.34, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. You know that one well enough that we don't need to turn to it. How about turning to the book of Titus in the New Testament? Titus is right after 2 Timothy. Okay. We'll have to see if the rapture is this year or not. If it is, time's running short. Titus chapter 1. Yeah. <laughs> Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Let's go back to verse 1 to see the context. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Yeshua the Messiah, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. What is that truth which accords with godliness? The Torah. In hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. If you're waiting for God to lie, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. Back to Jeremiah. Chapter 9, verse 10. I will take up a weeping and wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness a lamentation. And for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation means what? The places are gone. They're destroyed. It's the result of the invading armies just leveling the land because they're burned up so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled. They are gone. Talking about the land being so desolate that even the animals abandon it. Radiation. Let's go back to Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1. Look right after Hosea. Joel chapter 1. Remember how we saw the Lord of hosts? So it's not just talking about the Babylonian captivity, but it's talking about all the judgments and the captivities, the diasporas that are to come. As we read through Daniel, we saw in chapter 2, chapter 7, and chapter 8 the empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome described in many ways as a tall idol, as animals, as other kinds of animals. In the book of Zechariah, we're going to see them as riders on four horses. In the book of Joel, they're described as locusts. So let's look at Joel chapter 1, verse 4. 
with the chewing locust left. The chewing locust is Babylon. So Babylon did great destruction to the land, but not total destruction. The swarming locust has eaten. The swarming locust is Medo-Persia. So what Babylon left, Medo-Persia comes in and eats from, but is not totally destroyed. What the swarming locust, that's Medo-Persia left, the crawling locust has eaten, that's Greece or Macedonia. Remember the story of the Maccabees? That takes place during the reign of the Greece or Macedonian Empire. So there was still some left in the land. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten, that was Rome. It was Rome that between 70 and 135 AD or Common Era, they not only dispersed all the Jews out of the land, but they burned everything to the ground. They burned all the trees so there was not a tree left in the land. They plowed the ground with salt so that it wouldn't produce anything. So the destruction was bad in Babylon, worse in Medo-Persia, worse in Greece, and just total in Rome. So that's what we're talking about here in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 10. That the desolations keep getting worse and worse. Why? Because what's Israel not doing? Repenting. Repenting. As the sin continues, the judgments continue. What's the only thing that can break a cycle of God's judgment? Repentance. Because what's the purpose of the judgment is to try and bring the people to repentance. That's why he describes in Zechariah 13 the seven years of tribulation as trying to refine them through the fire to test them as gold is tested. I keep hearing prophecy teachers say the first three and a half years of the tribulation period is peace and love and harmony and everything's fine. Does your Bible not say in Revelation 6 that a third of the earth will perish? That's two to three billion people. Think of how many people died in World War I and World War II. We didn't come anywhere close to two to three billion people. So, if you hear somebody say, oh, the first three and a half years will be a big party, um, they're lying to you. Now, if we go to verse 11 of Jeremiah 9, it says, I'll make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I'll make the cities of Judah desolate without inhabitant. That happened in the Babylonian invasion. Let's look at Jeremiah 10.22. Behold, the noise of the report is come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of jackals. It's talking about the invasion by Babylon. But is that the only time it happens? The answer is no. In the tribulation period, where do the attacks come from? Thinking specifically of the Battle of Gog and Magog. In the north. Comes from the north. The invasions always come from the north. But the Peshat, the literal of verse 11, is talking about the Babylonian invasion. Which came in three ways, if you remember. 
At the first wave, that's when Daniel and his three buddies and some of the other leaders went to Babylon. The second invasion, more went to Babylon. Jeremiah is living in the days before the third and final invasion where everything is totally destroyed and razed to the ground. Verse 12. It's time for Jeopardy. Who knows the theme to Jeopardy? Do, do, do. uh, I don't know. Who is the wise man who may understand this? That is, who can discern why this judgment has been decreed? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken and he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? This is the Lord playing double jeopardy. Why am I saying these judgments are going to come? The answer is in verse 13. And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, my Torah, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. Because they have forsaken my law and have not obeyed my voice, that's the same thing. It's just said in two different ways. It's Hebrew parallelism. Psalm 119. Let's turn back to it. Psalm 119. Verse 126. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Do you see that here in Jeremiah 9, 13? So what happens if a future generation decides that the law is void? Judgment will come. The whole world decides it. It's the end time. Yep. God keeps giving us warning after warning. Have you been following Hurricane Lee? <laughs> Hasn't hit yet, but yesterday they were talking about a tropical storm. Today it's a category five. And they're saying by tomorrow it's going to have sustained winds of 180 miles an hour and gusts over 200. Well, we don't know if it's going to hit yet. It's coming toward the United States. God's sending the warning. Are we going to repent or aren't we? He may turn it away. He may not. But is this God's way of saying, y'all better listen up? Psalm 119, verse 126. We turned there a few minutes ago. Yep. Yes, sir. The doctor just made a little squirt there about New York, but I was actually thinking about New York today and in prayer. All I've done is drive all day and work, so it's been crazy. But how that New York, and there is so many clusters of Jewish people, more so in New York than probably in Israel. Used to be. I'm not sure it is anymore, but it's still pretty close. And it's so full of filth yeah. and guile. 
and yep. they're getting bolder and bolder every day. And God's people are right there in the middle and they're part of it. Yep. The reason there's so many riots going on in Israel right now is because of the judicial reform proposals that have put forward. And people there are so afraid they're going to take away our abortion on demand and our gay rights and gay marriage, etc. They're terrified that they may have somebody that tries to get them to follow God's commandments. Is judgment coming? Sure. Judgment's coming. They have uh, high school students that are writing letters and saying they are not going to fight for Israel. They are not going to be joined with Whatever. Yep. You're right. Right. So brainwashed exactly. So verse thirteen. And the Lord said, Who said? The Lord. the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it. And yet in first Corinthians chapter seven, verse 19 that we looked at a little while ago. Who does God expect to follow his Torah? Everybody. Everybody. Let's go to the book of Luke at a verse that we don't often look at. We should look at more often perhaps to make sure we have it memorized. Chapter 6, verse 46. It goes right along with Matthew chapter 7. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Did the Lord give the commandments? The Lord gave the commandments. But let's trace this a little farther. Let's go to Deuteronomy 11. Since Miss Deuteronomy 8.11. 8.11. Since Messiah quotes from Deuteronomy 8, we know that it's a good source of authority. Because Messiah himself quotes from it. Deuteronomy 8, 11. Deuteronomy 8, 11. Still turning pages. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Found it? Yep. Verse 3 is what Messiah quotes from. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But our verse is verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, I command you today. Means you can call the Lord, Lord, you can call him God all day long. And if you do not keep his commandments, statutes, and judgments, he says, you have forgotten me. If you just call him Lord God and you do not obey him, those are just empty words. The book of James is all about, be careful of empty, idle words. Let's go to Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah 16. Verse 11. 
Well, we'll start in 10. I should never start in the middle of a verse. And it shall be when you show this people all these words, that is the words of God's judgment that are coming. And they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what's our iniquity? What's our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Whenever I read those verses, too often people laugh and go, how could they not know? But look at our, our nation today, steeped in sin. You know what I read just a few minutes before coming tonight? An argument by a church that the verse in the Torah that says a man lying with another man is an abomination and both should be put to death. They said that's not about homosexuality. What is it about? They said it's about some kind of uh, fertility right amongst the pagans, but we don't know what it was. Two men aren't very fertile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it just <laughs> just blows my mind. Oh, you said when you show <laughs> his people all these words, is that word show supposed to be there? Yeah. Well, how did he show it to them? Was it all written in, in scrolls? No, when you, sp- when you speak it, you're also showing it. It doesn't mean it has to be a visual arts. Ah, it doesn't have to be that. Okay. So they say, what have we done? And they say that because the false prophets have been telling them that God's okay with what they're doing. That sounds like today over again. Verse 11 says, Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me. That's Deuteronomy 8.11. Says the Lord. They've walked after other gods and have served them and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers. Each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. So it's not that they didn't know what the law was. It's that they said, that's not what I want to do. I'll do what I want and God will just have to take me just as I am. Yeah. Yeah. If you throw a frog into a boiling pot, it'll jump out. That was just. Uh, a Please don't boil frogs. On the radio today about how the church has been thrown into the pot and gradually heated up, and now they're they, they're they're burnt up. Yeah. They have no concept of what they even were in. Yeah. Go to Deuteronomy twenty-eight. Deuteronomy 28. Remember, starting in verse 15, it's if you turn away from me, here's the curses. I want to look specifically at verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. Until you're destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. So up in verse 15 when the Lord says, If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes I command you today, that is the way God defines you have forsaken me. Is there somebody go to meeting land with the comment? Yes. Yes. 
Apparently not. Okay. Let's go to Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10, verse 13. Imagine hearing these words as a prophet and having to give them to the people. Judges 10.13 says, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. I'll deliver you no more. People say, oh, but God is love. God doesn't care how much we sin. He's going to deliver us. He's going to protect us. What does God say? Not so. I'll deliver you no more. 1 Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8, verse 8. We'll start in verse 7 for context. The key verse though is 8. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That word rejected means to abhor or despise, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. What's that word rejected mean? It's the word ma'as. M-A apostrophe A-S. Means to abhor or despise. How should the people have responded to all the great blessings God gave them? Thanksgiving, thankful, praise, love. Those are the right attitudes. Instead, it's, who are you to tell me what to do? It's my body. 1 Kings 11. Verses 30 to 34. Yes, sir. I, I just want to share that um, that, that verse we just First Samuel eight eight. Uh huh. First Samuel eight eight. That, you know, there's a lot of us that struggle with um, broken relationships with our children. Yep. And I do. She says there are many of us that struggle with broken relationships with our children. And that is comforting to me. And First Samuel eight eight is comforting to her. Because, because he's saying because of what God is saying there, which is they're not rejecting me; they're rejecting the God in my God. Yeah, that they're God. rejecting not her, but the God that she serves. That's why the relationship gets broken. And did Messiah say, "I came to bring a sword amongst families"? Yes, he did. Yeah. 
because it's, it's very hard when the children say, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you'll see. God will take me anyway. We'll see. First Kings 11. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. Each piece. First Kings chapter 11. Verse 30. Uh huh. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. Each piece represents one of the tribes of Israel. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, that is, ten of the tribes. Jeroboam is going to be king of the northern kingdom of Israel. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because, here's why, because they have forsaken me. They have forsaken me. And worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. And Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon. And have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. So Solomon let the people, and he himself participated in pagan idolatry. And God said, I'm taking ten of the twelve tribes and turn them away from Solomon so his son would not reign over all the tribes. Um, How sad, huh? Here, or Manasseh and Ephraim should be as half tribes to make the total twelve. Must have been. Must have been. Yep. Because they're Joseph. Yeah. Because I'm not 12. 2 Kings 22. We were in 1 Kings. Let's go to 2 Kings 22. Verses 16 to 17. Second Kings 22, verses 16 to 17. Josiah is king. And King Josiah is surprised when they come into him and say, You know what? We found the book of the Torah. He the what? The what? Exactly. So verses 16 and 17 says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, meaning from Deuteronomy 28, all those curses, because, here's why, they have forsaken me. They have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Wayne, what's your point? That every time they forget God, what follows? Judgment. Judgment. Yeah, it's 
kind of underlined and highlighted and there's several asterisks inside it. That's what's happening in America. Oh, yeah. Second Chronicles, what's up? Second Chronicles, chapter 24. The next reference will also be in Second Chronicles, but this is chapter 24, verse 24. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand, meaning a few Syrian soldiers defeated the entire Judean army because they had forgotten the Lord, the God of their fathers. So why could the Judean army not prevail? Because they had forsaken God, therefore God was not with them. God will not deliver them. Same book, Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 6. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 6. For Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day. Oh my. The Judean army's in big trouble. Why? All valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. They forsook the Lord, and he forsook them too. Ayah, asher, ayah. I will be whom I will be. Second Chronicles 34. Verse 25. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Verse 25. We'll start in 24 so I don't start in the middle of a sentence. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they may provoke me to anger with the, all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out in this place and not be quenched. One more verse, you've seen at least twice before tonight, but I want you to put it in your notes here. Psalm 119, verse 126. That's what this verse means, Psalm 119, verse 126. It's time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void, which means what? It means they have forgotten the God. Of all creation. Back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. We're up to verse 14. Verse 13 said, And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I said before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. Verse 14 begins with but. It means here's what they did instead. 
They have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, which means they did what they wanted to do. They said, Lord, you have no right to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want. And you'll take it. And after the Baals, the Baals just is a general term here as for the idols. The word Baal means husband. So the betrothed of God is calling an idol husband, which their fathers taught them. People keep saying, but Wayne, if their fathers taught them wrong, God won't hold them responsible, will he? Just keep reading. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. What happens if we want to make up our own doctrine, our own commandments? We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll do what we want. Matthew 15, verses 3 to 9. As you're turning there, I was listening to a very well-known speaker on YouTube this week talking about the days of the week on which people worship and the fact that the Muslims worship on Friday, the Jews worship on Saturday, and the Christians worship on Sunday. And he said, well, I guess that's okay. I mean, Jesus did arise on Sunday, and Pentecost was on Sunday. And then he just went on. What he should have said is, the Muslims worshipped on Friday, the Jews and the believers worshipped on Shabbat, and it was the sun-worshipping pagans that worshipped on Sunday. And in the 4th century... Constantine's religion was Mithraism, the worship of the invincible sun. So he set aside the commandments of God and implemented the sun god worship into the church. And what does God call that? And that was purposeful because he used to worship underneath the church, the sun god, while deceiving. I mean, that was intentional. Yes, it was intentional. If you've not watched the videos on... Mithraism and the religion of Constantine, they're really very interesting. But in Matthew 15, we'll start in verse 3. I can't do that. Let's start in verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, those words are there to say, they're here to see, is Yeshua the Messiah or not? They've come to see. And they believe that if he's truly the Messiah, that he will do things their way. That he will submit to their authority. Came to Yeshua saying, that's what they believe. It is. Saying. Yeah, that he would obey their rules. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? The tradition of the elders are the, their man-made rules. Why don't they follow our rules? Why don't they submit to our authority? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Is there any commandment to use a two-handled cup to wash your hands before you eat bread? Of course not. But there is a tradition. Answer and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. So it's not just that they had a tradition. They set aside the commandments of God and commanded people to follow their commandments, their traditions, not God's commandments. 
It says, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And you curse his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. So he said, God said, But you don't have to do that. Thus you made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, actors, pretenders. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. Don't miss that. They claim to be worshiping God. They claim to be God's people. They claim the Lord is their God. But their heart is far from me. The love is missing. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The love isn't there. And in vain they worship me. What does vain mean? Empty, useless, without any value. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. And yet what did the church do? They did the same thing. Don't keep the Sabbath. Don't keep Passover. Don't keep the festivals. Don't eat unclean. Don't follow the rules on clean and unclean foods. Do what we say instead. And if you read the Catholic catechisms down through the ages, it wasn't an oopsie. It was a deliberate thing like the scribes and Pharisees to say, submit to our authority. Obey us, not God. And Romans 6.16 says, the one that you serve is the one that you obey. Go back to Deuteronomy 12.32. She says, we were there in the church and we know that. All that they've told us is doctrine, not Bible. Yeah. What do preachers learn in seminary? Do they learn the Bible or do they learn doctrine? They learn doctrine. I saw a very interesting teaching this week by a non-Messianic Jewish rabbi. A very long, very detailed discussion he didn't refer to the Bible once. Just to the commentaries. The doctrine. What did Rambam say? What did Rashi say? Not what does the Bible say. He didn't care what the Bible says. It was simply what do the commentaries, the doctrine, what does it say to us? Deuteronomy 12.32, because I'm going to run out of time. I'm getting on my soapbox. I shouldn't do that. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. So in Matthew 15, when God said, Honor your father and your mother, and the Pharisees said, If you say it's a gift to God, then you don't have to honor your father or your mother. What have they done? They have taken away. And in the 4th century, when the church said, Don't keep the Sabbath, do Sunday instead, they took away and replaced it. So they did both. They added to and took away from. And said what? If you don't do it, you're anathema. I guess you know, and you probably told me, when the church claimed that God gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, Mm -hmm. now the church has the keys and God has to obey them. And essentially that's what the Talmud says. Yeah. God gave us the Torah, and now it's none of his business while we do with it. It's ours. It's ours. Okay, Deuteronomy 5.32. Deuteronomy 5.32.
Therefore you shall be careful to do as... Oops, you're not there yet. Let me let you find it. So sorry. Deuteronomy 5.32 Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That's the same as don't add to or take away from. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left. We mentioned Romans chapter 6 verse 16. But let's turn to it to make sure you know what I'm talking about. Romans 6.16. Their claim is that Paul completely upended everything that Yeshua ever said. And if you read through Paul's writings, does he do that? No. But you can twist them to that, especially going to Hebrews about the law that is passing away. I mean, and they can take his words, which was like a teacher where he was saying, this, therefore you know the context, I just said this, and they said this, let's go over here instead of the context. Yep. The Old Covenant, New Covenant, what's common to both is the law. Totally. Yep, it's common to both. People don't realize that. Okay, before time runs out. Romans 6.16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves servants to obey? You are that one's servant whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Which is following Torah. Which is following Torah. Well, our time has expired. We didn't get all the way through verse 14, but hey, we got a good start on it. And maybe we'll pick up there next time, if we're still here.